Welcome to episode 188 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. Uh, I am your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are, of course, broadcasting deep within the depths of the Magenta Manor and uh, inside the Pat Cave. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting all excited because we have some very special guests, uh, which we'll get into momentarily. But as you know, we are uh, members of the Dorkening Network, and as such, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. And I am, of course, as always, joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes of Nightmare. And today, I am Team Pirate. You are. You are yes. Team Pirate. I know you are. And there's a reason for that. Because we are joined by, I would say, uh, I'm, because I'm, I'm partial, the director and the star of the upcoming uh, Asylum film, Battle Star Wars, uh, James Thomas and Amy Stolte. And... It's so awesome to finally get you guys on the show and have you here and, and to be able to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, We're thanks. happy to be here. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> I just want to say I want to try some of that coffee. It sounds delicious. Yeah, it does. Well, uh, we have to send you some because <laughs> yeah. they have, uh, if you like a really dark coffee, they have a flavor called I do. Hell's Fury. That uh, sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. So you let us know because... Uh, We'll 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 talk off air. I'll and uh, I'll get you some. All right, <laughs> sounds good. So, as I said, you guys are, are uh, got a new movie coming out. Actually, uh, by the time this airs, it'll have been out for a couple days. But I'm sure we will have inundated people's social media feeds with this, so everyone's going to be aware. But before we get into that, we have a little thing that we like to do called getting into character where we ask you guys each a couple of questions and uh, kind of get to know you a little bit. So uh, the first question we have, and this is uh, one that I, I like to kind of dust off every now and then, and I think it's appropriate because we have a, you know, a sci-fi movie coming out. So what science fiction weapon would you most want to use? And uh, James, I'll start with you. Hmm, what science fiction weapon? <clears throat> I think the most obvious answer would be a lightsaber because it's the most iconic, I think. Um, but I would say, like, a giant ray cannon would be really cool because I think it could do some heavy damage um, and it would be really cool to see it fired. Excellent. Amy? I've never even heard of a giant ray cannon. That was amazing. I may have made it up, but it's probably it, it is a thing. Oh, I mean, one of those. It's a thing. Um, yeah, I was thinking lightsaber too. Um, That's fair. I don't know. I, I, I'm okay with a blaster. You can you can get people from far away with that weapon, which is nice. Maybe your blaster. My blaster, definitely mine. I was going to say, is there a specific one that uh, you're maybe a little partial to? Or, uh, yes, but... there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ashes, you have a question. I do, and this is for the both of you. What would the title of your autobiography be? <laughs> Mine would be. She did it backwards. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, these aren't easy questions. <laughs> yeah, maybe it got released. Ooh, that's, uh, that, that's, that's good. good I like that. I'd read it. 
So now we know what sci-fi weapon you'd want. Is there a particular ship that you'd like to be flying while, you know, from any, any, uh, any, any uh, franchise or any film? Because, uh, you know, you have to mount that giant ray cannon somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, James, where would, where, would you, uh, where would you mount your giant ray cannon? What ship? You know, I would have probably gone with something more Guardians of the Galaxy, except that I really love The Mandalorian. I thought it was a really cool series. Uh, it started off really well, and it ended really well, and uh, I really dug the way they did his ship, and so I would go with the Mandalorian ship. Oh, the Razor Crest. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Is that what that's called? Yep. The Razor Crest? See, th- I'm a super huge Star Wars nerd. Like, nerd. I know that, you know, and, and a lot of people know that Boba Fett's ship is called Slave One, but not many people mm-hmm. know that it's called a Fire Spray. <laughs> like, that's the class of ship. So, I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't know that till my even nerdier friend told me about it, which is is awesome. So we all have that one friend. Oh yeah. So Amy, what about you? What's uh, what's your ship? That I you never, like? I never know the names of ships. The first one that came to mind, and it's kind of old school, but is the Star Trek Enterprise. Nice. Like, I know. It's classic. Iconic. <laughs> it is. It's gone through a lot of adventures like that. Yes. Ship. That ship's taken a beating multiple times. Yes. Across <laughs> several different franchises. So, yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Stands the test of time. <laughs> so, if you could resurrect any one toy from your childhood, what would it be? The swamp Thing. Nice. Oh. That was a quick answer, James. Yeah. I'll tell you why, because there's a retro toy shop in here in California. Uh, it's called Blast from the Past. And I was there one day, and I saw it, and I didn't buy it, like the old one. And I wish I had, because I had one as a kid, and, and I've regretted it since then. Because I went back, and it was gone, and I've never seen it again, so... Uh, I'm sure I could go on Amazon and find one or eBay and find one, but I just haven't done that. Pay exorbitantly. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't Blast from the Past also the name of the store from uh, Back to the Future where he buys the almanac? Is it? I think it is. I might be wrong, but like that's the first thing that popped into It's my the head. movie with Brendan Fraser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah was, that's not what I thought first. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> So, Amy, how about you? What was uh, something from your childhood that you wish was still around? Um, my, f- I would say probably my... F- Actually, I had two favorite dolls that I played with. One was She-Ra. Oh, nice. And the, <laughs> the other one was actually Evelyn. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> from Masters of the Universe. <laughs> It was an accident. I wasn't supposed to have her as a toy, but my sister convinced me that I should have her as a toy because she wanted Tila, of course. So, Evelyn became one of my favorites. <laughs> I always thought Evelyn was a much more complex and interesting character than Tila. You know, I think so too. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because, you know, I got some vibes, you know, some 
some shades of evil Lynn from the, the 1987 Masters of the Universe uh, <laughs> in in your character in, in Battle Star Wars. So Yeah, maybe maybe that, that doll had a bigger influence on me than, than I even realized. That's funny. <laughs> so, well, that's... That's excellent. Uh, thank you for answering those. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, get into the main topic of discussion and talk about this, this new movie. So we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks, too and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Ephes for Family, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. All personnel, welcome to Haven. We want a planet of our own, and we're not turning back. Not when we're this close. Where am I going? Limitless resource and power. We can't let the Coalition find it. Attention, enemies of the Coalition. We got company. You have 24 hours to surrender the planet. The only way out of this is to fight. Two of you with me. Where is my daughter? She's on board an escape pod headed towards the planet. Strap in. To what? The deadline has expired. We're out of time. Prepare for surrender. Now, get to the base. Watch as I obliterate this planet. What Haven needs right now is a protector. War against the coalition is a fight you cannot win. Anyone who can hear me, attack. Get your asses in the air and fight to save your planet. In three, two, one. And we are back, uh, and uh, neither Amy nor James have left us, so that's a good sign. So things are going <laughs> <good. laughs> And uh, so, again, guys, I, I thank you so much for, for uh, joining us, and I just want to get right into this. So coming up with the name, we know that uh, Asylum is, is famous for their mockbusters. So where did the, uh, the title of this film come from? Uh, you know, when we shot the film, it was called Space Opera. Uh, there was no uh, title yet, and so we went with, like, the generic genre and space opera of it. Uh, and then I really wanted it to um, be called The Haven, but, you know, we really don't have any uh, choice in, the, in any input in the name. That's all they, uh, you know, it's all them, uh, the partners there. They kind of decide everything. And, um, and yeah, I think David Romano came up with uh, the Battle Star Wars 
Um, I know that, that f for a little bit it was either Battlestar Wars or Battlestar Wars. It was like they didn't know if that was going to be three words or two words, but uh, it ended up being three words, yeah. which yeah, is great for hashtagging, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I was a little. I, I was a little. Um, you know, trying to figure out. I'm like. You know, I'm stressing the nomenclature a little bit. I'm like, all right, how do I say this? Is it, you know, the same thing? Is it Battlestar? Like, where do I put the emphasis? Right. Um, but James, it seems to me that you uh, you like working with certain folks because you brought back uh, several people who were uh, with you with Megalodon, uh, mm -hmm. not just Amy, but uh, Luke and uh, Canyon as well. And uh, I think this is the first time I've seen. Uh, Canyon on on screen because he was the line producer for uh, Megalodon. Right. So that you're right. I do like bringing the same people back. Um, it's good when you've built a relationship with people and you can trust them. Um, especially like with Amy, we have a and and you'll notice also Dante shot both movies. Mm -hmm. um, he was a cinematographer on on Megalodon and on this movie. And you develop a shorthand with people that um, I can just start to say what I need to say, and you already get it, mm -hmm. and I don't have to even finish my sentence because you're you've got it, and you're off, and you're prepping uh, for the next scene or the next shot or whatever it is. And it's just good when you know people are good, and you can trust them to deliver, and it speeds things along. Um, interestingly, with Canyon. He and I actually have been making movies together since 2012. We made our first, uh, we did, we went like, took all our friends, went out to the desert, made two movies back to back. We wrapped one on Friday, started another one on Monday and just shot two, two movies. He directed one and I directed the other and he starred in the one I directed called Run Like Hell. So, uh, that was the first time I had worked with him as an actor and he did such a great job in that movie and that movie's been out for a while. So I build him up as this, um, this like military kind of badass that's going to save the day. And then halfway through the movie, I blow his head off with a shotgun, um, <laughs> just so that like all bets are off. So, uh, he, he delivered such a good performance in that one that, you know, like I knew he could act and he was an actor before a filmmaker, but then we started working together, producing movies. And so when I got Megalodon, uh, they were like, who do you want to produce it? And I was like, you got to have Canyon produce this movie. You can do it. Um, and so that's why we kind of worked together there and have gone on since then. Excellent. And uh, um, yeah. Amy, with with uh, working with James a couple of times, mm -hmm. what was the difference between, uh, between working uh, on the Megalodon shoot and on this shoot, because you both had uh, you had similar uh, time frames of shooting. Like you had less than a week on both of them, if I'm remembering correctly. Well, on Megalodon we had ten days, okay. and on this movie we had six days. Okay. So all right. So <laughs> but it, it sounds so similar, but it's really not because you're talking about the difference in shooting twelve pages a day or twenty five pages a day. Yeah. See, this and is, it's crazy to shoot 25 pages a day. And this is one of the things I really respect about what you guys do. Is, and I brought this up during the Megalodon interview, and I've brought it up with a lot of uh, independent film uh, makers. 
where he, you guys don't have the opportunity to shoot a scene 75 times like Stanley Kubrick and you know this you know four month long shooting schedule like so you have to really learn your stuff and get what you want on film as quickly as possible like you don't have four or five ten takes you have to do it one or two you know because you have to move on and get to the next scene you know you know set everything up shoot the scene take everything down move to the next location get all that stuff so amy like i was saying for you like what was that like you know filming in like you know on a battleship compared to uh what seems to be a much smaller set uh with a much smaller cast for uh for this film yeah, um, while shooting, I mean, I've never been to space or in <laughs> a spaceship. So to, you know, be in that world was definitely new for me. And you jump in, you know, I'm driving a ship at certain points and things like that. And to jump in and be like, okay, like, what is it actually like? Um, or what in our imagination or what has everyone agreed on that it's like? Um but uh, that's like as far as the set goes, as far as the difference between Megalodon and Battlestar Wars. Um, I mean, the time, obviously, um, <clears throat> the preparation. I mean, I think I had a little more prep time um, even for Megalodon, which was great because I was speaking Russian. <laughs> did you have more prep on Meg? I thought, yeah, I, I felt like we had more prep on this movie. I think I, I, was, I had we more had more time to talk about the character on this we movie. We did. Uh, than than Megalodon. Than Megalodon. Yeah, yeah, we did. We had more time to talk about the character, which was really great. Um, and after working with James once, I kind of knew, first of all, I already knew his energy and obviously knew I liked working with him going into Battle Star Wars. Um, but I also know sometimes he likes to throw a little improv. <laughs> so I was <laughs> on Megalodon, you had me improv some Russian and that was amazing. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Um, and then uh, on Battle Star Wars, I think we threw in a little bit of like working around oh, yeah. the script a lot more actually, mm -hmm. which was really fun. I really yeah. enjoyed that. That's kind of yeah. something I enjoy doing is, is okay, we'll get in there. We'll, we'll make the, you know, whatever the scene calls for, we need to get to that point. But the exact words you say, it's I'm a little more loose on that. So mm. it allows people a little more freedom to make the character their own mm. um, and not make it this like line by line. I wrote it this way. So it has to be this way uh, thing. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You let us play. Yeah. I felt like there was more time that we got to spend talking about the character and finding out who she is and her story and yeah. how she became a pirate and all that kind of stuff, yeah. which we really didn't have that on Megalodon. Actually, I think most Not of the prep all, was no. you and Ego just talking, you know, working Russian. on the Russian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was actually the great thing uh, about Meg is that um, those, those lines. So Ego is Russian, as you know, um, but he was a linguist there. So he's like very good with the language Mm -hmm. um, and so it was like, if I needed to throw in a line, I was like, ego, I needed to say these things and they would work mm -hmm. on it real quick. And yeah. that's what we got in the movie. So, yeah. So you, a, a very nice, uh, handy accent and dialogue coach, a uh, dialect yeah. coach at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. James, kind of the same question for you, you know, what was the, the difference between a shoot like this, which seemed to have, you know, you had your outdoor scenes and you had, you know, the, the onboard, the ship scenes were those, 
uh, much easier or like how different were they from trying to shoot uh, Megalodon where you had, you know, you had to have the uh, the ship had to be facing a certain way and like you had all this other, you know, background stuff going on in the harbor. Like, were, was this easier to do or was this more difficult or is it, they each have their own challenges? Um in some respects, it was easier, and in many others, it was more difficult. Um, the Where it became easier is the fact that these sets are in a studio, so we're in a controlled environment. We have full control of the lighting. The, we can look any direction we need to look. We don't have, um, you know, telephone poles and ships in the harbor to contend with. And, and uh, you know, with Megalodon, we always had the either shoot a specific angle down or kind of slightly shoot up to miss a lot of the other ships in the harbor or, um, you know, any, if any time we did a reverse, we would have to cheat the reverse because if you turned around on that ship, you saw a mountain with houses behind it. You know, it's like the, Oh, you could only look one way on that mm-hmm. ship. So that, in that, that respect, it was much, uh, easier to shoot in a in a stage in a controlled environment, but with Meg, I got to take my time a little bit more. Um, we we got to you know things like I got to spend a half a day on that fight scene in the engine room between uh, Dominic and Ego. Um, I didn't have that kind of luxury on this movie because it was six days. We were shooting so mm-hmm. much that it was it was honestly. I call cut and it's like, how quickly can we be shooting the next shot? Because we just have to go, we have to go, we have to go. Um, one of the more interesting things was, um, so Dante and I kind of planned a unique way of shooting the movie so that I could minimize the amount of coverage, but still get that I needed to shoot, but still get the shots I needed. So we shot this in 8k, um, which allowed me some the delivery. Sorry, this gets a little technical, but the delivery was 4K. So what it allowed me to do was set up shots that can work for multiple pieces of coverage. Hmm. And then in post, I could sneak in and grab the shot that I wasn't able to shoot on the day. And that sped up how I shot things. Um, we There's one scene in particular um, where Allison who plays Astera, frees Luke from his chains, and then they run around the corner and have this little conversation with uh, Helper. And that entire scene is one shot, but I use it as in three different shots. Uh, I cut in for a single on her, a two-shot on them, and it allowed me to create the coverage I needed just by angling them at a certain a certain way uh, and it allowed me to just get that one shot and move on so I could be faster. So in that respect, this was much harder, but to be able to do things like control the lighting, give each ship its own look. That's something that Dante and I really thought about beforehand. Um, We wanted to make every ship have its own look and feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we even like picked complimentary color sets for each ship. So that, like, you know, when you look at Denz's ship, it's that teal and, and orange look. Um, Amy's ship is purple and gold, uh, which 
I didn't even realize this, but makeup even highlighted that more because, you know, Amy has this great blonde hair. Yeah. Uh, and they put that purple, purple eyeshadow and stuff. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Because, like, I really wanted to play with color more in this movie. And so Dante and I were like, well, let's go crazy with it. Let's, let's utilize light and make it set dressing as well and color these ships which will help separate it because we just had the one set you know we just had the the main hallway set the big cockpit and and Denz's ship and that was it so we talked a little bit about the characters off air and my question to you is did you let any of the actors have a say in how their appearance was of course yeah yeah, I mean, like, I had kind of like a rough idea that I sent to the costume designer um, for each character, and then uh, um, uh, I had kind of a rough idea that I sent the costume designer for each character, and then, like, let them play around with that. I think Amy even found her own the top. You found yeah, yeah, that yeah. top, yeah. I found that top, yeah. I was like, oh, this is so awesome, James. <laughs> Getting it. Yeah. So it was really fun. I love trying. I mean, I love trying. <laughs> so it's yeah. never Joyce like, oh, let me try this. Let me try that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so, you and Dante even found your blaster, right? Did we? Yeah. yeah we did. You guys right. found your blaster before I had even gotten to any yeah. of the other blasters. So like that blaster in the movie that, that Ajax uses, um, she, you know, she yeah. found it, her and Dante. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then a crazy, so this, this is going to get into a little bit of a casting thing, but, um, Canyon 100% picked, well, I would say 85% picked his wardrobe. Um, the vest with the red paint was something that I had in mind from the beginning, but the jacket, the pants, the boots, the gloves, all that stuff was Canyon's design, um, because, I really wanted him to play that character, uh, but he when he came in and he read, um, he just was like in normal clothes, and I was like, no, 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 you got to come back. He came back, put on like went through the asylum's like wardrobe collection, threw on all this wardrobe, and kind of like made what the character could look like. Came in and did the character the way Zealous is in the movie. And that's how he got that role. Because, you know, I I get to choose to agree who I want, but ultimately the partners there mm-hmm. decide who plays each of the main characters. And so um, he was definitely, and like Amy, I had to like, you know, we worked on it and pushed things and it, it allows you to get people yeah. more to the forefront um, kind of gaming yeah. the system in a, in a sense. But... Um, but yeah, so like a lot of that, that overcoat that Zealous is wearing, the boots, the pants, all that came from Canyon. Doing it, the belts, all that stuff came from him. I just did the vest in that but one. It's, it's like, it's so awesome because it's not just, you know, on set. It actually, that kind of stuff does help so much when you're actually auditioning. Because yeah. you just, A, the way something fits your body, whether it's the shoes you're wearing or different things for different people, can adjust your physicality and then on top of it even the way you know say i've done my makeup or my hair or things like that you look in the mirror and you you're like oh i it just it just helps visually you see that more than 
going in completely as yourself or, or feeling like you're faking it or something like that, you know, I don't know. I love wardrobe. So I, I have a question about, about, uh, canyon's portrayal does he normally speak like that or is he definitely affecting the christian bale batman voice his voice is is very raspy to begin with it is but i did ask him to try and speak in his lower register because just generally i like guys to speak in their lower register (laughs) um uh, <laughs> we're thinking of something funny that happened with a different character, but um, I like them speaking the lower lower register because it it hits m- harder when uh, you know when they have to emo- like have deeper emotional stuff. Um, but but so I asked him to like add as much grunge and grit into his voice as he could. But his his general speaking voice is pretty raspy. Yeah, it's pretty he, close. he looks like a guy that's got like one of those deeper baritone voices. You know, like mm. a Bill Goldberg type of voice. That's funny. No, <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> no, no, he just has that that a generally zealous voice. Okay, I I, just, I was just curious because you know, like I said, I hadn't seen him on screen. I definitely want to see uh, some of your other work, but you know, this is really the yeah. first time I've seen him on on screen. So I was like, oh, I wonder. That's if, like, a good this question. Is- yeah. So I actually have a question for Amy. The character of Ajax is, she is such a badass. Like how fun was it to play her? And (laughs) did you watch anything or read anything specific in preparation for this role? Um, well, to answer your first question, it was super fun to play her. She's so snarky. <laughs> I'm going to walk around sassy. in life having sass like that and talking back and whatnot. So it's really fun to get that out. Um, the other, the other part of your question, actually, James, you gave us all like a list. You're like, okay, I want you to take a look at some shows and movies and get the feel of that kind of, those kinds of worlds. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I I wouldn't say there was anyone specific that I can think of that I was sort of um, had in mind when I was doing her um, or preparing for her or whatever. Um, I did, what more came to mind actually was um, male uh, characters that I was seeing on screen, whether it was like a Han Solo or something like that. Like even though, she's not that there's you know sort of a sarcasm to her and uh like uh who gives a shit kind of like i'm i'm doing this for me kind of thing um and on her own agenda so those kind of people i suppose um are kind of inspired um but i try not to look too much after the way other actors have portrayed characters, you know what I mean? Um, I never want to be a mimicker or anything like that. So, yeah, I definitely yeah. see, I can definitely see Han Solo. I did get a little bit of uh, Jack Sparrow, you know, ah! it's like <laughs> pirate, like, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> like, I, I got that. I was like, all right, that's definitely, you know, whether you were, you know, like you said, you know, you're not consciously trying to do that, but like that right. might have just been like too perfect of an opportunity. It's like, yeah, this is like the best line to say, like right now. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I find like, you know, also when you're working with 
when you're working with a good cast and you've got a good director like James and people who work with you beforehand and during and stuff, it's really easy to just kind of let it fly and have fun with everyone you're interacting with and not, you know, overthink it too much. So one of the things that I was looking at, you know, we definitely, uh, you know, like you guys were saying, you really developed who the characters are before you play them, you know, kind of get into a backstory. I could definitely see like a, a prequel, like an Ajax spinoff. And then we start the asylum cinematic universe. Like I could totally get behind that. Like 100%. But I love uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't think you would, you would, uh, you would mind that. But yeah. One of my questions is, you know, there were a lot of influences in this film and like there are certain ones that you can, you know, it's there, uh, obvious visual cues and you know like we were talking a little bit off the air about some of the genre tropes and and you know different wells from which you drew inspiration now was there a lot of stuff like uh james this one's for you first you know that you drew on from like your childhood and you know stuff that you grew up watching that you were like you know what i'm a huge fan of this type of you know, uh, film series or this genre in particular, you know, like I want to have, you know, something that reminds me of, you know, me being a kid. And I hope I get that out to everybody else who's watching this. You know, did you sprinkle things like that in or was it just like, let me see what I can, what I can put together and make as original as possible? Um, yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of doing that. I've done that even since my, um, first film, I think this one I drew on a lot of different things. Uh, the most obvious is Star Wars. Uh, I mean, that's a huge influence anytime you're talking space opera because it kind of like put it on the map. I mean, in in, in major ways. Um, but I mean, you'll see things from Fifth Element. You'll see things from Guardians in there. A lot from Star Trek. I mean, I. Uh, gave um, uh, Alyssa a whole uh, bunch of episodes from Star Trek to watch and said, like, study data. Yeah. You know, I, so there are a couple ones that are, like, specific to data that I told her to watch. I told her to watch, like, an episode on data, data lore where, like, data finds lore and the differences in him versus the twin and I told her like to figure out those nuances of how data would think through things and you would see him doing stuff um, and computing at the same time as he's talking and I think you see a lot of that in the helper character um, and like I, I pulled from all of these little things um, all these movies to try and develop at least a sense of what this space opera could be, what our world could be, then I dove in to try to make it my own. That makes sense, like, because there's definitely, while there are, you know, homages and references to things, like, one of the biggest ones I got was Halo. Um, Interesting. But, like, there's definitely... A- are you talking about because of the uh, the soldiers in the background? The paladin. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, there you go. But even, <laughs> and you mean his sword? <laughs> even to a lesser extent, the armor. Sure, yeah, we that that armor was custom made. 
but like uh, it, it definitely is you know it's evocative of like the master chief armor sure it's certainly not a ripoff by any means but i also got a little bit of like man at arms from uh, uh yeah from uh he-man masters of the universe so mm-hmm. you know you can definitely see that there's a lot of different influences but i mean that's what happens when you know you have you know this ability to create your own universe like there's a specific scene i don't want to without spoiling it but that i was really interested in where you have to focus on a character's eyes and i think you're you know what i'm talking sure. about but it's like i'm really interested to know what happened there yeah uh, i wish i could know a little bit more about that because I was like, holy yeah. shit, what just happened there? What is what is this? I like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said that a lot. Like, you definitely get, um, you know, the, the, like, the whole story of this, you know, it's obviously, you know, a story that, you know, folks are familiar with because, you know, this is a story that gets told a thousand times. You know, it's like, oh, we're peaceful. We're, you know, we don't want any problems. It's like, well... You win against us, so therefore you're our enemy. And yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, but we just, we just, we just want to live. We don't want, you know. I, I just recently rewatched Avatar, so it's almost mm-hmm. like that, except with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, far fewer weird blue people running around. <laughs> but like, you definitely have this like really good sense of conflict, not just you know between the the protagonist and the antagonist, but like a conflict within the conflict, you know, like how, you know, certain characters are reacting because of their, you know, crossed pasts, you know, and like how Mm -hmm. things have transpired before. And, you know, nobody wants to trust anybody, but you have to, so you have this really uneasy working alliance. It's, it's really cool the way you kind of tie everything together. And I think it's really helped not only by, you know, a strong story, but by, you know, the fact that you've worked with some of these folks before and you know exactly, like, okay, these people are going to be able to help me execute my vision properly. And I think everyone did a really, really good job with this. You know, they played the characters the way they needed to be played. I think they looked the part as well, you know, because, you know, you have Amy as this, you know, super badass pirate, which, again, is just the best, like... (laughs) I loved, I loved, like, your hair design was the best. Oh, my God, I love my hair. <laughs> and you have Estera, who's, you know, like, very much a, a Princess Leia, Padme Amidala type character. Mm-hmm. But she has, like, this young, innocent look to her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I did, like, uh, Ross as uh, the Novak. Like, True story, Ross is 6'8". Oh, what? Yeah. Wow. Uh, he he walked into the uh, Amy had worked with him on Escape the Night, Escape the Night which is a pretty popular um, mm-hmm. series on YouTube. Yeah. Um, YouTube Red. You, yeah, YouTube Red. YouTube, YouTube Red. Originals. YouTube Originals. Yeah. Anyway, um, and she was like, "Hey, you got to meet this guy Ross." And he mm-hmm. walks into the casting room, and like he was so tall, I was like, <laughs> "There's no way I'm not putting this guy in this movie because he's just he's just huge." And he's, uh, he's he calls himself the Viking, and he is a Viking. He's huge, and he's well built too. Like, yeah, he's yes, he not is. Like you know, tall and skinny. <laughs> he's just like this big, scary dude. I mean, like Alyssa as as helper, like she has that 
look like, okay, I definitely see her as like an Android type character, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like, um, the, honestly, the first thing I thought of was, you know, it's Vicky from small wonder all grown up. That's funny. (laughs) Funny thing about that character is this in the script, it's written, uh, as a guy. Really? Yeah. And, um, I just thought that was creepy. So I changed it. (laughs) I think it was a good change. Um, I do, I do too. Uh, but then we cast two blonde women for those roles. Um, and then it became how to differentiate them. And that's when it was like, okay, well, Helper is a little different. So let's add the makeup. Uh, let's add different pieces to her. Let's make right. the wardrobe very what, you know, somebody Stop. in the coalition would wear. It's just, yeah. I like the uh, the the uh, accent on the neck that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. helped. I thought that was a, a good mm-hmm. different. You know, very. Um, you know, like uh, what the hell is it? Uh, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Hitman, like the age yeah. of twenty seven. You know? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of. So like he's. He, I, I, I love think... that game, and so I love. I mean, and I'm a huge Timothy, Timothy Oliphant fan. So I mean, who isn't? Well, yeah, I mean, so he used to, we don't have this radio station anymore, but there was an indie rock radio station here in LA and he used to do the morning, uh, a morning show on it. Yeah. Um, and it was always hilarious and he's so talented. So, yeah, I I think it's, it was also a lot easier. I think in this film kind of keeping track of who everybody was because, you know, looking at, you know, the IMDB page, you know, you have like fewer than 10 people that were really like your principal, your, your principal actors. Like you had obviously a few people that, you know, were on Haven that, you know, were just the people who lived on Haven as opposed to again, Megalodon, which had, you know, you had to have an entire battleship crew. Like there were so many people. Um, It seemed like it was, you know, easier to, for me, it was a lot easier to follow. It's like, okay, I know where everybody is. I know where, you know, uh, who everybody is, what they're aligned to. So it was a lot easier for me to, you know, and I think for the standard movie going public to follow a cast of, of, you know, much fewer people. Did you find that that was, it was easier to kind of, uh, navigate through the shooting process, even though you had a much tighter schedule with fewer people, as opposed to like, you know, you know, make sure everybody, you know, somebody has to wrangle those extras over there and like, make sure that, you know, they're standing where they're supposed to be or cause you don't want, well, I forget what that movie is, but there's a guy that's just like sweeping the air. He's like, and it's like, it's like some Scorsese yeah. movie or something. Yeah. And the yeah. guy's supp- it's like, we need you to sweep. And he's just, he's just moving a broom back and forth, but it's not on the ground. It's like up in the air. It's like, how do, <laughs> how do you mess that up? Yeah, it happens. Well, a lot of times what happens with that is it's not even really their fault, but they end up taking the blame for it. So we'll give them a broom and we say, don't make any noise with it. Because this is a super intimate scene and these two people have to talk and we can't hear a broom in the background. So then they broom slightly above the ground and and then it gets into the movie and everyone's like, how is that guy such an idiot? And you're like, well, you only knew. Right. So, I mean, Never a lot of times, like, I will say it's on us, um, <laughs> but there are a lot of times it's not. 
I will say that too. <laughs> um, it happens quite often. I, mean, I just, I think I just saw a meme uh, floating around. Uh, I think what movie was it? A new Tyler Perry movie or something? And the guy's not eating. Like he he keeps raising the fork to his mouth, but there's nothing on the fork. <laughs> and people are like pointing out, like there's nothing there. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Oh my god. I Which is actually that. a huge pet peeve of mine. Um, and in, in another movie I did, Tomb Invader, I made all the actors eat every time I shot them. I made them actually eat, and everyone was so full by the end of it. Um, but it's a huge pet, pet peeve of mine when I, I see like people take the smallest nibble of the cookie that they're supposed to be eating in the scene, because um, nobody does that in real life. No. Or like the empty couple words that you see. Um, cause like every time someone holds a coffee Ooh. cup, they're like throwing it up and juggling it because there's nothing in it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> See, that would bug me too. And you know, there are, there are, you know, from what I understand and, you know, I'm not, you know, in the filmmaking business, but you know, a lot of, a lot of movies, you know, they discourage people from eating, but like somehow it gets into the scene and like, you know, like Robert Downey Jr. eating the blueberries and Avengers or, Basically, anything Brad Pitt's in, he's always snacking on something. Yeah. But they're always like, hey, don't eat on on set. Don't do this. And he's he's always eating. He's like, that's like their, their trademark I mean, it's, it's human. So yeah, like, that's why it's way to the film in films, you know. Remind me to never do a scene with you where I have to yeah. eat, James. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I will make like, you James, eat. No, I can't. Yeah. Especially if I'm in Gina a hated it. I mean, she oh, was like, ooh, can we not eat any more chicken and rice, please? <laughs> Come hungry. But, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this movie comes out on the 28th, so it's been mm-hmm. out for a couple days. Uh where can uh, where can folks find this film? Like that's obviously one of the most important things. Like you know we're talking about it. Like where can people find it? I mean, I think it's going to be available uh, everywhere you would normally um, find an asylum movie. You know your cable chat uh, platforms, Amazon, um, uh, iTunes, Vudu. These the standard kind of platforms, um, internet platforms and streaming platforms you see. I don't know that it'll be on any major Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. Um, I think it's going to be on Redbox streaming, if I remember right. Uh, but then, yeah, it should be on on demand and DirecTV and stuff like that, but... So I just want to give people the synopsis of this because we've been talking a little bit about it, you know, because we're trying to tread lightly because this movie just came out. Uh, When the leader of the evil coalition threatens to destroy a rebel planet for its resources, his daughter will have no choice but to join the rebel side and fight for what is right. Now, I like, you know, uh, synopsis that or synopses. I forget what the exact. uh, I think synopses. Yeah. I just. Yeah. yeah. I like when a synopsis doesn't give away too much of the movie. There we go. Now I know I got the word right. Uh, <laughs> and this really does, because this is, you know, stuff that we see in the opening, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the film. Like, mm. it's not it's not like, oh, major revelation at the end, you know, and you don't give away, like, the plot twist in the, in the trailer. You know, this isn't Terminator uh, – Genesis, where it's like, hey, John Connor's a Terminator. Here, we're showing that to you in the trailer. Now you don't need to see the movie, the end. Mm-hmm. 
Like I, I don't like when do and I'm sure that, you know, if uh like I don't know if you have much control over what the trailer is, but I'm sure you would rather not give away major plot points in a two minute right. trailer after you've worked you know, because it's not just the shooting, you know, that's in six days. Then you got the editing and, the, and you know, the color correction and all the stuff that goes along with it, the sound and everything. So you guys are putting a lot of time into this. And that's what I think, you know, a lot of folks don't quite understand. Like, you know, it's when you have a, a smaller production like this, like you have to wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, you're the you're the director, but you're also, you know, doing a lot of other stuff on the set as well. So, like, give give somebody give us an idea of like what you know a day of filming and a day after you're filming before the movie releases is like for you. Um, I mean, on day filming, it's wall to wall crazy, just going you know at 140 percent all day long. Um, it's trying to make sure that we make our day, and we've got 30 pages to shoot today, and we've got to get it because. There is no contingency plan for this. We have six days, and that's it. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of go, 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 go. Uh, up until the very last second, we were shooting entire scenes up until the very last second of the very last day. And I think when we called rap on the entire film, I was so exhausted, I just, like, collapsed um, and just, like, sat for a while and kind of <laughs> collected myself because I had gone so hard for so many days in a row um, that for me, at least, I don't know about you, but for me, at least it was, uh, um, it was just like an insane go, 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 go. Just make sure you, you get the movie, make it look great. And, and we kind of packed in certain scenes so that I could spend more time in other scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the scene between Amy and Luke in the cockpit, um, I spent a little more time in that mm-hmm. scene. Scenes between Sarah and Malister, we spent a little more time in those scenes. But other scenes, I would kind of like make sure I got everything I needed to get our day. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think? I didn't have nearly as much to do as you. Yeah. Well, I think I had a little yes, more fun than James. If not, if not fun well, in like a, you know, fun and more like a, I got to laugh around a little more because I had a lot more, I had a lot more time in my hands than you did. Hmm. Obviously. The interesting um, thing is you said something earlier about the cast being um, you know, smaller so you were to follow along. For me that was easier, um, but I think for the cast it was a lot more difficult because it meant that everyone had more lines. Yeah. Everyone had more scene. They're, they were going to be in the movie more, which is great for, for actors, except that when you're shooting 30 pages and you have to know 17 of them and, and, you know, Amy is one of the uh, people I know that memorizes every single line before one. Um, and so that's incredibly difficult when you have like 60, 80 pages of a script to memorize, you know, it's crazy. So you might say you had less to do, but you had a lot to do comparatively, you know. I guess beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> but, so. I mean, 
it's 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 just different. Mm-hmm. It's different stuff. I still think you had a lot more similarities. <laughs> well, then, like after the movie was a little different on this one too, because I I edited the movie. I cut the movie. Um, you know, when we went to post, where an editor hadn't been hired yet, and um, it was like three or four days after we wrapped, and there was still nobody. Like they hadn't hired anyone, and. You know, like interviewing some people, and I was like, "Well, let me, let, I'm just going to do it. Like, let me just edit the film." And, and uh, the producers were okay with that, so I went and shot the movie, and um, and I actually did a lot of the effects for it as well. Every time you see uh, a screen come up that they're touching and moving things around, I did that those shots. I did blaster shots. I didn't do any of the big space stuff because that's a little outside of our realm. I can do like 2D effects, but I can't do anything big 3D. I will say um, the effects team had all of six days to do this movie. So all of the big spaceship wide shots, you know, all the big 3D CG stuff that's in the movie, they delivered in six days also. Um, so, you know, that's an incredible feat for what they had to do. Um, yeah, I will say this too, like, I was thinking a little bit about, um, your question before, when you guys were talking about, um, or I can't remember if it was yours or Ash's question, but, uh, the difference is kind of between working on Megalodon and working on Battle of Star Wars. Um, the pressure was different on this one. It, there was a lot of pressure on Megalodon in the sense of, speaking Russian. Um, but that was a very, I knew we had, like, we had a little more time on this one. The pressure came more from, okay, I know we've only got a couple takes, maybe. So get it, get it, get it, get it. Don't waste anyone's time. You know, not in the sense of like beating yourself over the head with it, but really trying to, um, trying to just be present even quicker. You know what I mean? Um, does that make sense, James? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there, there was that element. Um, the other thing I will say real quick, too, is, you know, we're talking about you had more time to work on the characters with us in Battlestar Wars mm-hmm. uh, than on Megalodon. And that's true, but I found the most important thing um, in, the, in the stuff, in, in the character work and whatever we talked about before was you really connected the relationships. And I really see that in this mm-hmm. one is the history in mm-hmm. everyone's eyes and in, the, in their tones and things like that and where they really come from. Yeah, we so talked a really, lot about really the history between Coburn and Ajax and what could have gone on um, many years before the event of this movie. Mm-hmm. And how they met, how she became a pirate, what their history was. And for me, there was almost a little bit of solo in their relationship. Um, just the way Amelia Clark and, and, and Han Solo in, the movie, in, in that movie interact and how they had history and then they had to split and like a complicated history now, like a complicated relationship now. That's kind of how I always saw those those two and so getting to spend time because um a lot of times with the silent movies you don't know who's going to be your cast until a couple of days before you're shooting um so it's a little it's a little tougher but we got we got cast a couple weeks before the film so 
we actually had a little more time, which I mean, it still sounds crazy fast, but we had a little more time than normal, and it, it allowed us to con- make those connections because I was able to have those conversations with Amy and have those conversations with Luke um, and and really hone in on what relationships are like, which I think is how things uh, were able to translate so well and why people feel so distinct in their character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was definitely some good chemistry you know, between characters and, you know, there's something to be said for that because a lot of these bigger films, you know, people just can't be bothered to really establish that with, you know, between the director and the actors or even some of the actors in between themselves. And yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with the solo thing. I was thinking more of like a, a little more checkered past, more like, a, again, Harrison Ford, but Indiana Jones and uh, Marion Ravenwood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great, yeah. too. Yeah, like, There was definitely something there, and it was just like, oh, how could you do this to me? It's like, how could you do that to me? Like, right? Even. <laughs> that's what yeah. I thought. <laughs> and, and Amy has a line that, what was the line? You, you all people should know that, or is it... Uh, um. You of all people don't get to call me that. Yeah, when he says a pirate. Um, yeah, that's what kind of, like... It, little lines, like, I think that's a line that we tweaked and threw in. Um, little things like that helped to establish the character. One funny thing is, like, when I was talking with Ross, we had a long conversation about what Novak was going to be like. Because Novak could have been this, like, mindless meathead uh, character that was just uh, like an offshoot of Drax and um, really didn't have much purpose, but I wanted to go deeper with Novak and see who he is, and we kind of created this backstory that, you know, he is a manufactured person, right? He that, That's his thing. Novak's so you're going to make a are, person. You're going to make a person that looks like that. Exactly. If you're going to clone <laughs> battle clones, you're going to make them six foot eight yeah. and jacked. You know, like that's just what you're going to do. You're going to breed soldiers. And so he was one of thousands of him, you know, and to be unique, he, you know, he says it a few times. I'm not giving anything away when I say that he's the one responsible for killing every other Novak in the universe. So when he says 2,700 and, you know, all that, when he's doing that, it's him remembering that that's why he's unique. And finding stuff like that through having those conversations is what led to, because, like, he only said that once in the movie, and we threw it in a couple more times as a mm-hmm. joke, because he just wants everyone to know how proud he is that he's the Novak. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I think that's the kind of cool stuff you get when you're able to spend time uh, having those conversations with actors. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like that definitely gave some more depth to a character that you know could have been just a throwaway character, but it's like you get this sense of pride and accomplishment from it. It's like, yeah, I'm a clone, and like you know, we see uh, Zealous kind of throw that back at him. You know, later on in the movie, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you're a clone. It's like, yeah, but. I'm the only one left because I'm, you know, it's kind of like Rick and Morty where like, you know, Rick from the TV show is the most Rickest Rick that there is. Yeah. (laughs) And that's where I, that's what I kind of got a little vibe from because that's the only other thing I could kind of compare it to because this is kind of an original idea where it's almost like, you know, if there were 
clones and the Highlander put together. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a, a, a Highlander type, you know, like <laughs> villain, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with Canyon, it was interesting because, um, or with Zealous, uh, the character, uh, it was interesting because Canyon and I had a couple conversations as well, uh, which was interesting because in, in Run Like Hell, we didn't do that. Um, but this is the first time he and I, like, I was like, okay, stop being producer, stop being director, Canyon, <laughs> put on your actor hat, and let's actually just talk about the character. And it was an interesting conversation. It was the first time we'd ever done that. Um, and uh, we started to come up with the backstory of him and these paladins and what that means, because we find out a little bit about what he's done and how he's responsible for her, these, the fate of, of what paladins are like today. And, and even like how he gets the scars on his arm and stuff like that, that I think helped really round out his character because, you know, we stuck pretty well to the script, but the scene that's outside on Haven, um, where zealous is trying to recapture, um, Astera and, and Dens that's one scene where I was like Canyon take the um, the backstory we've got and just go with it forget the line go with what you you think and a lot of that because of you and your mother like all those things came out on the day because of that and um, and I think he's so good at doing that anyway that uh, you know e- even stuff like that helps you know, yeah, I definitely think it contributed to the film. Uh, and again, uh, I really enjoyed it. Ashes, you really enjoyed it. Like it was really good. Like I had a lot of fun Thanks. with this. Oh, good. You know, and it's not just because I'm a fan of you guys. You know, and, <laughs> and I dig your work, and I think everyone should check out. You know, all the stuff that you've done. But uh, it's uh, it's getting a little late, so I uh, I think <laughs> we should uh, wrap this up a little bit. So. Uh, before I let you guys go, um, where can folks find your work and find you guys, uh, your social media, stuff like that? Like, where do you like folks to uh, to look for you and search for you and find, uh, you know, what you can contribute? Uh, you can find me. I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram, I guess. It's kind of where I post. And James Thomas LA. There, I'm not really, I don't really post anywhere else. Uh I have a, uh, with Dante and Canyon, we have a company called Trifecta, and our, we have a website, trifectapicturesent.com, um, that you can find, like, trailers of stuff we've done there, and that's about it. Um, and I, same when it comes to posting, I try Twitter, and I always forget, <laughs> and I'll remember, and then I'll, so Amy Stolte on Twitter, um, on Instagram, where I post mostly, would uh, it's at Stoltenator, um, and... I have at least one more movie coming out later this year. Um, yeah, you do. But <laughs> I do. Um, but I'm trying to think. I mean, what Megalodon is still out there for for anyone who hasn't seen Megalodon yet. Yeah, it's on Amazon, Meg. Right? It's a whole bunch yeah. of things. Yeah. I'm actually going to be. We're in the process of remastering Run Like Hell and uh, putting it out in 4K because we got the rights back from the original distribution company. So I'm doing that, redoing all the VFX, redoing all the color. Uh, I'm going to put it out in 4K, so that'll come out later on this year. 
Um, but we did that, and then Canyon directed a movie called The Final Level, Escaping from Rancala, or Escaping Rancala. Yeah. Um, that's available everywhere now. Uh, and it. I, I almost forgot, Escape the Night, if anyone wants to catch me as the Gorgon on the YouTube show Escape the Night, there's, that's the, all those episodes are streaming there on there now um, from season four this past year. That's, I think, my work that's out there. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I know you've got some other stuff that you've you've worked on. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's been released yet, you know, because you and I have chatted a little bit about some of this stuff, and I'm really interested mm-hmm. in, in in some of it. Uh, I just want to find out where I can get it, but that's a that's a discussion for another day. But we will. T- yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, but thank you guys so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, obviously, we'll have links for everything that we can you know, schedules where you can find this film and, uh, awesome. So thank you so much. Yes. uh, Thank you. And, uh, thank you guys for having us on, uh, don't say it lightly, but we're also fans of you. So yeah, exactly. Anytime you can come on the show. Yep. That's why I wore my Jaws shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Amy's wearing this great Jaws shirt right now. And it is like, when I say anytime, it is currently 1.37 a.m. here in Massachusetts. (laughs) So when I say anytime, I mean anytime. Like legit, yes. (laughs) We'll try to do whatever we can. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Holy sidetracking, guys. The train just came off the tracks. Derailers. Be sure to follow the Derailers on Twitter at the Derailers. And make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube so you can catch the episode next week, folks. Same derailment time, same derailment channel. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. What happened to you all down there? We were attacked by what? Get off his boat. And welcome back. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that was the uh, trailer for Megalodon from which we first met uh, Amy and uh, James together, at least for us. Uh, that's where we were first introduced to them. James obviously directing that and Amy playing Yana Popov, the uh, the Russian soldier who ends up getting into an awesome fight with Carolyn Harris. Um, yeah, definitely check that movie out too if you haven't already. But, uh, Ashes, we, uh, we, we had a battle last week, did we not? We had a hell of a battle bat last week. Yeah, so I... I'm a big fan of robots to begin with, and of course we had to have a big robot, robo-trumble, I believe is that's what I called it. Well, well, we just called it Robot Wars. Robo-trumble, I'm sorry, Robot Rumble. So, who were the combatants, and uh, who ended up winning? 
So, just to refresh your memory, we had Robot Wars asking which robot has what it takes to be the last one standing. The location was the Thunderdome using Extreme Robot Wars rules. Very extreme. So, you could choose from Vincent from the Black Hole. Yep. Johnny Five from Short Circuit, who we was covered. the star of our episode yep. last week. Bender from Futurama. Bender Bending Rodriguez. Or R2-D2 from Star Wars. Real 2 Dialogue 2. And the winner on both Twitter and the Facebook was R2-D2. That's who I voted for. Uh, with Bender very close behind. It was a tight race. For a while, Bender was in the lead. This is true, yes. A lot of people were picking Bender because uh, he has a propensity to cheat. But R2, R2 is a little more uh, classy. He's not going to cheat. But at the same time, he's I think he's a little more uh, little more powerful, has a little bit more up R2 his sleeve, so to speak. Gad- yeah, he has, he's got a lot of gadgets accessible to he him. He has stuck he can... his probe into a lot of ports. Hey-oh. Yeah, I, I made the, uh, the argument that if he hadn't had that port, the uh, Star Wars Skywalker saga... Skywalker Saga. I was going to say, I, I don't think I'm um, familiar with that one. The Sky Saga Walker. Yeah. That would have been a lot shorter if he didn't have that port or the uh, little interface thing. But uh, what do we got coming up? We have some uh, stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we have some really cool episodes coming up. Next week in particular, we have another guest on the show. We're going to be joined by Ashley V. Robinson to talk about Tamsin from the Science comic book series. Science! And Jupiter Jet. And for those of you who remember, she joined us uh, last year uh, for our episode entitled The Drake Equation. Right, where she talked about the first installment, like the first series of Jupiter Jet. And science. And yeah, they were actually in the process of getting science up and running. So science is now released. So we're going to talk about Tamsin a little bit. But the big thing is they're actually working on, I believe they've worked on, they're looking to release the second volume of Jupiter Jet. The Kickstarter is live now. Yes. So we'll be posting links to that. And Ashley is, she's just such a delight. We had such a great time with her the last time she Mm -hmm. was on the show. And I'm really looking forward to having her back on. There's a specific thing I want to ask her about because recently Jawin, Jawin, I think she pronounces it Jawin. It's uh, her and Jason Inman. They did a uh, a video based on uh, some questions that one of their Patreon supporters asked. And it was all about the worst superpowers. And she had one one in particular that uh, that I I definitely want to talk I to her think about. That would be a really great getting into character question for next week. Even though she's already been on and we have asked her getting into character questions, I do think that. But I mean, every ep- I want to specifically talk. I don't about know if this. you know this, Patsy, but every episode we open with a getting into character question. So that could be. I mean, I know you're new here. No, no, no. But I mean, this is like your first time. We we, we ask specific questions to first time guests i'm just saying well she's she's not a first time guest though i i know i'm just trying to help the folks at home not be confused because it's like wait a minute i thought the rule was we only ask the series of questions to the first time guests and that's true but this is just our standard one question you're confusing the hell out of me right now well we've had a long day i inhaled a lot of 
bovine uh, uh, hemoglobin fumes. It was a weird day. Science! It was a weird day. Anyways, so we have that coming up next week. We also have some fun stuff coming up in February. I think I said that right this time. Holy crap. February? February. That was smart uh, The end of February, we're going to be at Wicked Weekend. That is at the Hilton Hotel down in Mystic, Connecticut. The Mystic Hilton. It's very mystical. Yeah, and it's it's right near the uh, aquarium. Aquarium and Mystic Pizza. I don't know how close it is to Mystic Pizza, but I know it's right near the aquarium. But, like, Mystic Pizza's in Mystic. And, and... Uh, our buddy, powerful Brandon, who will also be down there, just sent me a uh, link to a diner, and I showed you some of the stuff on that oh on my that diner. God, dine. I that love diners so much. Like, I don't eat breakfast, but I love breakfast food so much. Like, breakfast for dinner is just um, the most amazing thing ever. I discovered a meal between breakfast and brunch. But seriously, so it's going to be a great time. So definitely get your tickets. Come see us. Come hang out. We're going to be there with the rest of the Dorkening Network. A bunch of other great guests are going to be there and vendors. And it's going to be a really good time. It's going to be a fucking party. So Brocore super fan, uh, uh, Witter Entertainment, Deadly Grounds Coffee, our sponsor. Get down there. Get some stuff. Oh God, I need some more coffee. Like, I'm almost out of Deadly Grounds Coffee. This is a bad That's a sad, sad day. day. It's a sad day. Uh, so anyways, to wrap this up, thank you again to director James Thomas and Amy Stoltz star of battle star wars for coming on and joining us and talking about battle star wars which you can uh get i actually wrote the first review for that on amazon but you can get it on amazon yourself give them your dollars support independent independent creators i believe it's also available other places too i'm sure if you uh, voodoo i think voodoo amazon you know all these all these uh, uh, streaming. Or, yeah, I would say wherever you purchase streaming films, movies anywhere, I think also has an iTunes. But it's a lot of fun, and it's definitely worth checking out. So throw your dollars at it. So I think with that being said, <gasps> we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.